What's up, Law Nation? Hope you're having a wonderful week. Really excited for today's episode, which I know will be incredibly valuable to you by expanding your mind into a niche investment asset. Today's topic is especially interesting to me as well. I love to travel, I love real estate, and I love to create income streams. How about you guys? This investment could actually cover all of the above. Well, have you ever stayed in an Airbnb? I think most of us have. Have you ever thought about buying a vacation property and then potentially having it pay for itself? Well, the guest of honor today is Kyle Stanley, otherwise known as the fearless investor. He's an Airbnb expert based out of Fresno, California, and he's scaling at an incredible rate. In only 18 months, He has over 25 Airbnb listings that net over $20,000 per month. How about that for some fast income replacement? Kyle now teaches others how to replicate his path to success in Airbnbs. So without further ado, on with the show. This is the Passive Income Attorney Podcast where you'll discover the secrets and strategies of the ultra-wealthy on how they build streams of passive income to give them the freedom we all want. Attorney Seth Bradley will help you end the cycle of trading your time for money so you can make money while you sleep. Start living the good life on your own terms. Now, here's your host, Seth Bradley. Kyle Stanley, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Seth. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's just dive right in, man. Tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, not to drag it out or anything, but I, I just, I was kind of a born entrepreneur, but really fought it for most of my life. Uh, um, you know, when I was a kid, I, I was the top salesman and all the things that you could think of all the dorky stuff that we did in, in uh, elementary school from, you know, raffle tickets all the way to cookie dough and all that kind of stuff. And then, and then, you know, I got into college and I, I was, you know, making sports shows for our local uh, television station in San Diego and, and, uh, and, you know, doing all these things that really like I had control of and, and really enjoyed because I controlled my success, right? Well, mm-hmm. then I get into the real world right after college and I become a sports anchor and I have to go work for someone else. And for the first time, like my creative, uh, my creativity, my, like everything just felt handcuffed and, and it made me lose a lot of passion for, for my job. And so I was like, why am I feeling this way? And I, I boil it down to, I don't like taking orders from other people. I like uh, being able to create, I like being able to, um, you know, determine my own success. And so uh, shortly after I, I realized this, I started a business um, helping high school athletes get recruited to play in college, making their videos, Moved that from Colorado to Arizona, um, did that for a few years. And um, honestly, Seth, like the big thing I can say is I just didn't have a mentor. I didn't have like the the help to really understand how to start a business. I had the mm-hmm. mindset. I had the the like desire. I had all the things that would, you know, be a good starting point. But when you have no idea like how to actually start a business, um, you, you make all the mistakes that most people make. And, and I just tried to be everything for everyone. I did yep. not specialize myself. I try, you know, if someone needed something, oh yeah, I'll figure it out. I'll do that. And it just really spread myself thin. And it got to the point where I was just so bogged down with um, things that I didn't enjoy doing that I started to hate that business. And so um, from there, bounced around and different sales jobs. I uh, was a part of an MLM for a little bit. And um, I, I would just say though, like 
it was all the culmination of all these things that I tried for what was it? I mean, I 22 was when I started and now I'm 33. So like for 10 years, you know, I just, I was kind of gathering all these skills in different areas, networking and communication and sales and, um, you know, customer service and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and one day when real estate came across my desk, I was just like, you know, this is passive income. Like yeah. MLMs. Yeah. I mean, like I, I heard about passive income the first time getting into one of those, um, which I think is a crime, by the way, I think passive income needs to be taught uh, that term at least needs to be taught like from a young age. Right. Uh, the fact that I was 26 years old hearing it for the first time, I think is a crime in itself, but I was like, you know, okay, I, I've got this idea of passive income, but what is truly passive? And I thought about it. I was like, real estate really is passive. You literally buy a piece of real estate, you put a tenant in there and you get paid. And, you know, every once in a while stuff comes up, but outside of that, like it's pretty passive. So I started listening to podcasts a lot like this one, you know, I was listening to bigger pockets, Cardone zone, all this kind of stuff. I was just educating myself. And finally, after about four months of education, Flipping was what I landed on. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this whole flipping thing. Got started off real quick in that. Got a couple of deals under my belt within the first four months. Uh, but then I kind of looked back and I was like, you know what? I've been doing this thing called Airbnb for like five years. And I've just been doing it as a room out of my house. What would happen if I actually did an entire house? Well, fast forward about 15 months later, I went from one Airbnb to about 22 Airbnbs. Uh, went from a, about $1,000 a month of net income to about $20,000 a month of net income. And, you know, in under a year and a half, it was a complete life changer. And, and that's really today, like where my bread and butter is, is Airbnb. And then I'll flip a house uh, occasionally as well. Nice. Was that transition all at once while you were working full time or gradual? Yeah. Uh, good question. So I, uh, like I said, I had done a lot of things. So I, I, <laughs> I went into this new sales job um, part-time at the end of 2018 and then decided, hey, 2019, I'm going full-time on this. Well, the day before I went full-time with it, I went to a seminar. Uh, it's called Fortune Builders, and they teach you how to flip yeah. houses and everything. And that was when I made the decision that I'm flipping houses. So it was literally a day before starting a, a essentially brand new full-time job that I decided to go into real estate. And then it was, it was about six months later of just doing both at the same time that I finally just said, okay, I'm, I'm making enough money doing real estate to, to be able to do this full-time. And, and I uh, got out. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause a lot of our listeners have really good W2 jobs. So they might want to start something on the side, maybe investing in real estate on the side before they actually transition all the way out or yeah. even at all. So yeah, you know, and, and that's what I really suggest is if you're going to get into real estate and you have a steady job, even if you don't like it, you know, it, it, there's a buildup process. I got a, you know, I've got a podcast too, and that's where a lot of people that I talk to, you know, they all talk about, th there's very few that like get started and say like, oh yeah, 10 days later, I was closing a deal and making six figures. Like it just, right. it just doesn't really happen. But um, a lot of people that I talk to, you know, hey, it took me five months to get my first deal, but once I did, you know, 10 10 months later, I'm doing like a, a deal every month or two deals every month. And so I think there's that build up process. There's that learning stage. You know, you, sure. there's, there's a lot of things that you have to build up to really be able to go into something full time. Yeah, for sure. And capital too. Again, a lot of our listeners have really good jobs and they have a, you know, a large chunk of change to invest. So if they have a bigger, you know, bigger chunk of change to invest right up front, I mean, you can accelerate that growth a lot quicker as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Anytime you have the availability of money, whether it's yours or someone else's, you can scale so much faster. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and that's the great thing about real estate, right? Because you can literally look at a hundred thousand dollars and turn it into, uh, 200,000 and a lot of active ways you can turn it into 110,000 and a lot of passive ways you can turn it into, you know, uh, somewhere in the middle there, like passively. And, you know, there's just, there's just so many opportunities when you do have the availability of money. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, let's jump into your bread and butter, man. Tell us about Airbnb investing. Yeah, uh, man, I could tell you a lot about it. What, yeah. what would you like to know? <laughs> Let's just start. You know, what, what is it? I mean, what, you know, what is it? Like, what, what's your strategy? Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll say this, you know, for those that are new to the world of Airbnb, a very simple term would just be short-term rentals. Mm-hmm. Um, someone who wants to, you know, get away for a weekend. And, you know, I know you live in San Diego. You know, someone wants to get away to the beach. Might, instead of going to a hotel, they find a house that someone else owns on Airbnb or VRBO and they book it for a couple nights and they pay a premium to do that. Um, a lot of people ask me today, like, why would anyone want to do Airbnb over like a hotel? And I think there's a number of different reasons. Um, I think the biggest reason is people want the uh, convenience of being able to have, you know, a, a couple days that they go in and, and get out without having to worry about, you know, a whole lot of things. And especially right now, with COVID going on, the less people you're around, the the more safe you feel. And so, you know, hotels are just flooded with a ton of people and you don't know where those people have been. You don't know, you know, what, uh, what, if they even have COVID or not. And so there's, especially right now, a big need for more privacy when it comes to a, a short-term stay. But then, you know, the availability of a kitchen and a living room and, you know, uh, the, the ability to be able to cook, like while you're there, you just don't really get that in a hotel. And so, I think there becomes a, a really great uh, problem that we can solve if we own real estate or if we know people who own real estate. And so to really answer your question here, Seth, um, I do Airbnb in three different ways. I own some property, which is really like the number one people think of, right? Oh, I got to own right. a piece of property first. Well, yeah, absolutely. But you can also use other people's properties. So there's a form called arbitrage where basically you rent it out from a landlord and then you sublease it with their permission on Airbnb and you keep the spread. Or um, when you get to building a reputation uh, like myself, people might start coming to you and ask you, hey, uh, what if you manage my Airbnb for me? What if I furnish the whole thing and I just pay you to manage it? And and you can then, just like a property management company, charge them a premium to do this as a short-term rental, make them a whole lot more money and everyone's happy in the end. So I, I have now 24 Airbnbs, um, seven of them we own, three we arbitrage and the other 14 we manage for other people. They're all based here in Fresno, California and we're expanding over to Phoenix right now too. We just bought our first two uh, that we're going to renovate and then turn into an Airbnb. But the, the, I think the best thing about you know, the Airbnb model um, is just speed and um, acceleration because you look at any other uh, rental type of option, especially the single family home, and you're going to get, you know, call it in our market. If you're cash flowing two to $300 per door, then you're making a great long-term uh, rental profit. In Airbnb, I'm 3Xing to 5Xing that. So if I'm making $300 per door on a long-term rental, 
here in Fresno, I'm making at least $1,200 on an Airbnb and that's after expenses. Um, so wow. just pretty much like if you, if you look at it, take whatever you're making, whether that's gross income or net income and multiply it by three to four. And that's what you should be getting with Airbnb. That's awesome. Yeah. Those returns are crazy, man. Yeah, so awesome. you said all your, all your rentals are in Fresno, right? And then you're looking to Phoenix. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Do you know of, um, you know, people that, you know, I've heard that people buy Airbnbs at places where they'd like to vacation in and they kind of just spread them out so that they can actually stay in those Airbnbs while they're, while they're traveling. You know, my answer to that is make so much with your short-term rentals that you can vacation anywhere. Um, <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> I, I talk to people all the time, especially here in Fresno. They're like, Hey, what if we get like a cabin up at, you know, we got some places over here called Bass Lake and, uh, and, um, Shaver Lake. And, and they're like, what if we get a cabin over there and, you know, we rent it out and then every once in a while we could use it ourselves. I'm like, yeah, that's great. Um, but at the end of the day, do the numbers make sense? And some of these places, it's like the seasonality is so high. It's this roller coaster that you're riding where you're like, oh my gosh, I made $5,000 this month. And then it's February and no one wants to go there. And now you're actually paying $2,000 that month in mortgage and, and your expenses. And so I'm like, you know, you could do that or you can just find a really good market. Um, I'm not saying Fresno is that market for me. It is. I like it. It's consistent. Um, but I'd rather just make a whole lot of money in my market here and then say, okay, I just made X amount of dollars. Why don't I just spend 10% of that and go go on a vacation next month and, and spend a bunch of money going to someone else's Airbnb and yeah. let them figure out all the cleanup and stuff. So, um, <laughs> you know, there, there's two, there's two thoughts there, but I think the sexier idea is like, yeah, let's have like one place in, in all these different vacation areas and rent them out and, uh, and be able to use them whenever we want. And that's fine. But I think the biggest thing that people don't think about when they go to do that is you have to build an entire team of people to keep this passive for you. And right. so every new location that you build for Airbnb short-term rentals, you have to go and hire new people, handymen, interior designers, cleaners, um, you know, boots on the ground person who's going to be able to be there uh, at all hours of the day and night to be able to, to uh, tend to these people's needs. Um, because this really, I mean, at the end of the day, Seth, it's, it's not really even a real estate business. It is a hospitality business. Mm -hmm. And, and so, um, we just happen to use real estate to be able to give a hospital, hospitable, uh, experience to all the guests. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's dive into that a little bit more because some people think of Airbnb investing as really active, including myself. So I need mm -hmm. you to convince me otherwise, how do you make it passive? So there's, there's sides of it that are active if you're trying to grow a business, right? Anytime sure. that you're trying to grow something, you're going to have to be active in it um, unless you have, you know, I think, um, is it, is it Robert Kiyosaki that has the, the four quadrants and he talks yeah. about when you're really a true business owner, you have like 500 plus employees and that's, that's being a true business owner. So we're not talking about being like true business owners and having over 500 employees in Airbnb. We're talking about having a very small system that doesn't have to have a whole lot of moving parts in order to be successful. Um, but I would say in my active Airbnbs, the 24 that we currently have, I might be putting in three to four hours a week, Seth. I mean, I, I just don't really do a whole lot there. And, and when I do, it's just because I like being hands-on. Um, so there's, I think that's what I love about real estate, not just Airbnb, is that everything is outsourceable. You can teach anything to anyone. So from 
guest experience, communicating with guests, um, and, and, you know, having to answer either phone calls or messages from them, we can hire a virtual assistant from that. Um, someone in the Philippines for the nighttime, someone, you know, even just whether it's in the U S or call it like Canada or Mexico, um, with just a similar time frame, we could, we could have two different VAs working 24 hours. So that's what part of what we do. Um, then you can hire the cleaners. Don't clean these places yourself. You know, that's, that's an obvious, I don't want to clean. I don't think anyone wants to clean, hire that out. Um, there's great technology and automation that Airbnb um, partners provide that helps us to be able to take care of all the notifications. So when someone books, our cleaners are automatically notified of when they're expected to clean and when they're expected to be done with that cleaning. So I don't have to be calling my cleaners being like, hey, did you clean? Did you clean? Um, there's pricing automation. There is calendar automation. There is guest reply automation on the app. Um and then with just other really good people like handymen, and I have a, a number one assistant that just really runs my business. If I'm out of town or not, you know, able to be able to put any time into it, um, I have a great assistant that does everything for me. Um, but at the very least, you want to have someone that's going to be there in person that if a guest says, hey, um, I don't know, AC went out and we can't get a guy there to fix the AC for another 24 hours. Well, we got someone in person that's going to go pick up a couple fans from Walmart, deliver them to the place and be able to help them at least be comfortable for the next day while, while there's some sort of um, fix that needs to happen. So there's lots of people, lots of technology, lots of options to make this business very passive from a operational standpoint, gotcha. but from a growth standpoint, um, I'm, I'm the guy that, you know, has conversations with, uh, sellers i'm the one that talks to landlords about adding more to our our portfolio um yes is that outsourceable but that's not something so far that i want to outsource so for that it becomes a little bit more active but um i love that side of it so yeah uh, i would say as long as you're doing the things that you love i call them the things that feel light you know like if it feels light and yeah. you want to keep on doing that do it um, I'm a numbers guy, so I love doing a lot of the pricing stuff manually, even though I could automate that. I really enjoy that stuff. So I, I continue to do it. So, um, you know, that, I would say that's the number one thing about this business. You can, you can do what you want. You can outsource what you don't want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like anything else. I mean, you probably got to put a little bit of work up front, you know, to get your systems and your automations and your vendors and VAs and whatever, whatever you're using, uh, technology wise to get those systems and stuff in place. But then once that's exactly. all set up, it becomes a lot more passive. Exactly. Um, I, I call it the, the mass effect or the, the, the mass system it's uh, master automate and then scale. And so, I mean, you got to do it yourself, right? You got to be able yep. to figure it out. Even like the first time or two, you might even want to clean it yourself just so you can see a, what's the best way to do it. And B, yeah. do I really dislike it as much <laughs> as I think I just like it? And the answer to that's probably going to be yes. Uh, yeah. So, you know, just being able to do it yourself and then automate it. And then from there, if it can, if it can scale on its own or with you putting a lot less effort into it, then, you know, you've got a business that's thriving. Yeah. Yeah. And that's again, why it might make sense to even invest locally or pick, you know, a market or two to stick to and not just place an Airbnb here and here and Costa Rica and San Diego and New York or something like that. Yeah. A hundred percent. Because I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you build up this reputation um, in one location and, and, you know, for us, Seth, just to kind of give you an idea of our, the growth of our business um, 
June of this year, 2020, we had 10 Airbnbs. And then by October, we were at 22 going on 24. And the reason it just exploded so quickly was because I had built this reputation of being like the Airbnb guy in Fresno. And before I knew it, my phone was just ringing off the hook with people being like, can you manage my place? Can you manage my place? Hey, I got a friend that needs uh, uh, some management for Airbnb. And so uh, if you become like that go-to person, opportunities just kind of come to you. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, let's go through maybe some other pros and cons of investing in Airbnbs versus, you know, just traditional single family rentals. Yeah. I mean, so the obvious pro so far has been the income, right? Um, The other pro is that you, I mean, I think this is a great pro. You get to put a lot more people to work. You get to employ some people um, to do things that you wouldn't be doing in long-term rentals. Um, And and I really get a lot of enjoyment out of being able to create jobs for other people. Um, I would say another pro, especially if you're trying to do this arbitrage model for other landlords, is that you're taking care of this place way better than a regular long-term tenant's going to. Um, I mean, if you think about it, Long-term tenant goes in there, they sign a 12-month lease, and you know, month one, um, I don't know, the screen door at the front falls off, and they don't tell you. And then there's a hole uh, or some some chipped paint, and they don't tell you. Or um, they call you because of these little nuances, like, hey, the the towel bar fell off the handle, and now you got to go deal with that. And so it's condition of the place and It's also as a landlord, you're dealing with all these little things. Well, if I go in there and I say, hey, Mr. Landlord, we are actually going to clean the place every time there's guest turnover, which could be as much as five times a week. So you know the place is going to be in pristine condition. If the towel bar falls off the the wall, we're not going to call you with that. We're going to call our handyman. We're going to get it taken care of, and you're not going to hear about it. Um, and, And so we have all these things that make us a lot more attractive to landlords than regular long-term tenants that I think kind of makes it a no-brainer. Really, it makes it a better option for a landlord. Plus, we have insurance in three different ways. Um, so really, like you're, you're covered on all ends. And, and so any landlords that I do this with, they're like, yeah, we're, we want to renew with you because we don't want to have to deal with like trying yeah. to get a new tenant in there and seeing if their credit's good and all that kind of stuff again. So um, that's another pro. Um, con, I mean, gosh, Seth, um, I, I guess the con would just be that sometimes there's some unknowns about the guests that come in. Um, and to me, it's not even necessarily like, oh, are they going to destroy the place? Because if they do, I'm covered by Airbnb's insurance. I'm covered by their host guarantee. And I know that I'm going to get covered and, and that's a risk I'm willing to take, Mm -hmm. but more so like, you know, I want to make sure I'm a good neighbor. Um, in that neighborhood as well. And so I always kind of feel bad if there's ever a party or anything that um, just kind of got under the radar that yeah. we get a call from a neighbor saying, hey, you know, there was a party last night, yada, yada. That would be really the only thing that kind of uh, bugs me a little bit. But I can tell you this, when you have the right prequal that you put all these guests through, when you have all the mm-hmm. right security measures that you take, when you do all the right things to try to weed out the bad guests, most of the time they weed themselves out and so for that reason, knock on wood, we have not had many issues when it comes to parties as we have evolved in this business. Yeah. There's ways to reduce that risk, right? Exactly. Just like yeah. anything. Yeah. So when you're looking to, to buy a property, I mean, what are you looking for, for an Airbnb investment? Like what are some of your property criteria? Yeah. You know, the first thing I would do if I'm looking 
is if, and I'm speaking more to your, your uh, listeners right now, go to air DNA and do the research. Air DNA is the MLS of Airbnb. Um, I have a direct referral link. It's just bit.ly dot or sorry, bit.ly forward slash air DNA link. Um, if you just go to that, it'll take you right to um, air DNA and, and you can see, Hey, I've got a three bedroom, two bath on main street. Is there another three bedroom, two bath within, you know, like half a mile? If so, what does it look like? How much is it going for per night? How much did it make in the last 12 months? Um, how much was it occupied? You can look at all that stuff and you can really then look at, am I going to make money with this? And so most people then from there are like, well, you know, what other expenses do I need to think about? What other ways can I make money with it? Well, uh, the best thing you can do at that point is go to my website and download. It's right there on the front of the website at fearlesskyle.com. We have an Airbnb profit calculator that literally shows you what you could make as long as you're evaluating the property correctly, what you could make profit minus expenses every single month. Um, so for that reason, you know, you might go and say, man, I'm in, I'm in San Diego. This is a great place to do Airbnb because of the beach and everything. I bet you if I got a great beachfront property that, you know, I would just make bank. Well, you might think that, but will it actually do that? And AirDNA is the best place to go take a look at that. Um, and just to kind of deeper answer your questions, I think you've got to also look at, is my city the best place to do it? I always suggest starting off in your city, but um, there's really two types of cities that I would say are um, like the two types of cities that you could think of would be either are people coming there because they have to, or are, becoming, are they coming there because they want to? I like Fresno because no one wants to come to Fresno. Everyone who comes here has to come to Fresno. Oh shoot. Got to go visit grandma and grandpa. Oh shoot. Got to visit mom and dad, or I've, I've got business over there. And, and, you know, all these different things, it's like, you know, there's nothing exciting drawing people to Fresno, but when there's that necessity, that's why during a pandemic, we haven't seen any drop off. Um, we actually were really worried that we were going to see drop off. And then after two months of, doing some research data and, and market analysis, we were like, holy cow, we're making like the exact same amount that we were even before COVID started. So um, I like Fresno or places like Fresno for that reason. But if you want to just, you know, do the, the higher risk places, um, San Diego, Newport, all these beach places in California or across the U S I mean, you, you can make a lot more money. You're just going to have a lot more of the, the ups and downs. Um, so I would say, figure out, you know, what your risk, um, tolerance is, figure out the numbers and, uh, use both those resources, the, the Airbnb profit calculator on our website and the air DNA. Um, that's, that's the best place to be able to find out what, uh, what you should be doing for Airbnb. Awesome, man. Yeah. Air DNA. That's a great website. I've clicked around on there. There's some really powerful stuff on there. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. It's, uh, you know, and it has the membership, I would say get a membership for a month and then just cancel after that. You don't need to have it month in, month out. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, let's switch gears a little bit, man. So how'd you get this fearless Kyle moniker and your fearless brand that you've, you've adopted? Where did that originate? Yeah. Um, so it started out as fearless flipping when I wasn't doing Airbnb and I started my podcast. Um, then pretty much I like six months later, realized I wasn't really talking about flipping very much anymore. I was just talking about Airbnb and I wanted to rebrand. And so uh, the name of my podcast is actually the fearless investor, but fearlessinvestor.com was already taken. So I took fearless Kyle. Um, but uh, 
I guess, you know, the, the, the fearless thing comes from, um, if you see our logo, it's a lion and growing up, my mom always had the, like, you know, fear, um, or the, the, the lion kind of imprinted in my mind, which was like, you know, have be courage, courageous, like a lion and then be gentle, like a lamb. And so I just kind of thought of like, you know, how can I bring a lion into this? And, and to me, lions are fearless and, um, and I just, I don't know. I, I like the, I like the word fearless. I think it's got a little bit of a ring to it. And I think at the end of the day, like that's really what we're helping people to do when I bring guests on, on our podcast. And when I share knowledge and information, I'm trying to help people get past this fear of never taking action. And in real estate, like, yeah, you need to do the research and you need to know the numbers and you need to like really have a foundation but then at some point you just have to be able to pull the trigger and right. the people that never pull the trigger just are always excited about, Oh, I'm going to find a deal. I'm going to find a deal. And then they look up a year later and they're like, wow, I haven't put any offers in. I haven't got any deals. Like what's holding me back. And it's just, you're just obsessed with education and you're not obsessed with taking action. And I think right. that's what we're just trying to help people do is get over the, the fear of taking action. Yeah. I mean, you can listen to podcasts and read books and go to seminars and do these things all day, but at some point in time, you've got to take action. Yeah. And it's, I'm so guilty of this too, Seth. I mean, I think we all are at some level, this, you know, uh, analysis, analysis paralysis or paralysis by analysis, whatever you call it. Um, and especially in, in real estate, because there's so much to analyze on a deal and, and you just kind of get down to that point where you're like, you know what? the the worst deal I could do is no deal. So why am I just pounding my head on like, I don't have to do the perfect deal. Um, just because I'm only going to make 10,000 on this flip doesn't mean that I shouldn't do it. It means that I'm going to learn a whole lot and I'm gonna learn what I didn't like about it and what I do like about it. And so, you know, um, then you just, you, you take, but I, I think at the same time though, like there's also the shiny object syndrome in For real sure. estate, right? Like there's, there's subject to, there's Airbnb, there's long-term rentals, there's flipping, there's wholesaling, there's creative financing, there's all this stuff, right? And and so we get in and we're like, oh yeah, I want to do Airbnb. Oh wait, would that be a good flip? Oh, would that be a good wholesale? And, <laughs> and then you forget, like you, you came here because you wanted to do Airbnb. Well, yeah. get in your lane, put on the blinders, but educate yourself about other stuff so that when those deals do come around, then you have the knowledge to be able to either pull the trigger or have someone in your network that you could sell that deal to and, and be able to like capitalize on that, but at the same time, not get distracted by those things. Um, so I, I think that's the biggest thing is you see like the most successful people in real estate, they all have their specialty, but they don't talk about it. They're, you know, Hey, this guy's doing flips, but by the way, every once in a while, He's doing a, you know, a, a long-term buy and hold. He's doing a burr every once in a while. He's just not really um, focused on finding those deals, but when they come his way, he knows exactly what to do with them. So I think you've got to have your lane, but you got to educate yourself about the, the side lanes as well. Yeah, for sure. And especially at the beginning, you're kind of exposed <clears throat> to a lot of different stuff and everything just seems new and shiny. And you're like, oh man, Airbnb sound great. You know, maybe I should do that instead of this and that instead of this, or let's look at this syndication. Maybe we should just invest passively. Like there's just so many different things. So you've got to, yeah. you know, learn a little bit about each and then find your lane. Yeah. And, you know, I, I talk to students all the time um, or pers prospective students, I should say. And one of the questions I ask them is, hey, have you ever bought a course or had a mentor in the past as well? 
And if they say yes, and I ask them how much they invest, then I'm always going to ask them, okay, so how many deals did you do from, you know, investing 10,000 or 20,000 into that? Oh, I didn't do any deals because this, this, this happened. I didn't like my mentor. I didn't like the, and I, and I get worried about people like that. Cause I'm like, at the yeah. end of the day, you just like, you like learning and which is right. not an issue, but if you know, the, the worst saying out there is knowledge is power. Knowledge is not power. It's knowledge plus action that is power. And if you're not taking any action, then you're just wasting your time, your money, and your mentor's time too. Yeah. I love that, man. Love that. Well, let's jump into the Freedom Four. It's time for the Freedom Four. So in an alternative universe where you weren't involved in real estate, what would you be doing? I'd be the play-by-play -play broadcaster for the Chicago Cubs. Oh, awesome. <laughs> that was That was my goal. <laughs> That was my goal when I was coming out of college. Um, and uh, I, I still would do that today. I do it for free. Yeah. Very specific. And I love that, man. I love yeah. it. Oh yeah. What's the, what's the best thing you do to keep your mind and body healthy? Learning. Um, so even though I just ragged on people who only learn, I, I think, um, <laughs> I think if you're not learning, uh, then you're not growing. And if you're not growing, then you're dying. Uh, yep. So I, I love learning on a daily basis. You're speaking my truth, man. So where were you at five years ago and where do you see yourself five years from now? Five years ago, I was in debt. Um, I was living in Arizona. I had just bought my first house and um, didn't realize how much the first time home buying process actually does cost. They don't really tell you every single thing that you have to think about. Um, so got in debt very quickly. Um, that was why I started Airbnb in a room out of my home because I needed to pay for my mortgage. Um, and so it's, it's crazy to see where, where life has taken me. Um, and yeah. just not even the last five years, but really the last two years. Uh, but five years from now, I mean, I, I don't know, man, I, I don't do a whole lot of five-year goals. I do a lot of one-year goals cause I feel like they're a little bit more bite-sized, but I'd like to think that five years from now I'm, I'm in a very uh, good place financially, just like I'm at right now, but doing more things that uh, I, I enjoy helping people. I enjoy um, doing things that give back. Uh, those are the things to me that fulfill me. Having, I want to have a family. Um, I want to be able to um, just be able to make more choices that I can't make today. Um, not necessarily for selfish reasons, but for others. Nice, nice. So how has passive income made your life better? Uh, kind of just what I said there, but, mm -hmm. um, it just made me realize what is possible. You know, I, I used to do this whole, you know, you, you have to trade time for dollars and then, you know, yep. you, you have this mindset of time for dollars and then, then taxes come in and, and wipe out a lot of that stuff. And you just, you end up feeling like, man, I'm just, I'm working literally for minimum wage. Um, and then when you come and you find something I mean, Seth, even a flip, you mm -hmm. find a deal. Let's just say you're the only person and you hire the contractor. Even that dude, like I remember the first flip I did, I only made $6,100. It was a small flip, but I learned a ton and I did the math and I was like, from the time that I found the deal to the time that we sold it, I might've put 20 hours into that flip altogether. And that came out to like almost $300 per hour that I made. Yeah. And I'm like, I've never made $300 an hour. So real estate and Airbnb, just the, the margins of which you can make will just, um, it'll give you the opportunity to see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. You're, you mm -hmm. don't have to replace time for dollars. 
Um, you can, you can make more of an impact on other people by giving them jobs, by hiring them, by giving other people opportunities. And, and so to me, it's not just the freedom, it's the impact that you can have on other people. Nice. Nice brother. Well, thanks again for coming on today. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Yeah. Either uh, fearlesskyle.com or you can go uh, just to any podcast uh, platform or my YouTube channel and just search the fearless investor. Awesome. Thanks, Kyle. It's been great. Thank you, Seth. Hi, brother. Talk soon. All right. Kyle really broke it down for us about how he scaled his Airbnb business quickly and efficiently and how he effectively made those investments as systemized and automatic as possible. Now, I don't know about you, but before this episode, I never would have thought of Airbnbs as passive. But after talking to Kyle... I do believe that with some careful and thoughtful strategies, vacation rentals could be a viable option. If you want to take your passive investing to the next level, I want to invite you all to go to escapethebillable.com and get your free copy of our new passive investing guide. All right, until next time, celebrate the journey. Thank you for listening to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast with Seth Bradley. Do you want more ideas on how to generate multiple streams of passive income? Then jump over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com for show notes and resources. Then apply for the private Facebook community by searching for the Passive Income Attorney on Facebook. And we'll see you on the next episode.